0: Episode seventy six of Together, a Brighton and Albion podcast. My name is Josh, and I am here as always to discuss all things Albion. Um, We are very much getting towards the uh, the bottom of the barrel here um i don't think that we'll be having an episode next week um just because i just don't think we have enough to talk about um i have some ideas as to how we're going to be able to carry this stuff on um if we don't come back into the game sooner than later um but this week i i had an offer i simply could not refuse um a gentleman named Stu got in touch uh albion fan lifelong um and he is uh, currently living in china and has been for quite some time 18 years um um, and he came on and said, you know, I would love to talk about our experiences, uh, both on the football side of things, uh, the growth. I mean, you've seen the amount of growth that Chinese footballers had um, with the billions being poured in um, and why. And of course, with everything going on in the current day and age, um, it would be remiss of us not to not to at least chat to somebody who is on the streets of, of the uh, of ground zero, so to speak, of of the coronavirus. So we had Stu on um, and Robin uh, from the Where Are They Now segments um, made a made a special guest appearance as well to uh, kind of talk through um, a how everybody's doing and what's going on in their place of uh, place of residence. We've got a man in charge. China, a man in the UK and a man in the US. Um, we didn't dwell on it for too long. Um, you know, I'd say about 25% of the show um, was really just talking about that. The rest was mostly about football. Um, I don't want to kind of dwell on the the um, the rougher type of, of stuff going on in the world. I'd rather be able to, you know, talk about the football and what's what the hell we're going to do with it. Um, but I also, you know, I think we need to address it and talk about it because I think it's an incredibly unique perspective we're being offered here. Uh, so we had a chat with Stu about the coronavirus, Um, we had a chat with Stu about the, uh, the future of the Premier League and where we go from here, how it gets finished, when it could finish, closed doors, not closed doors, delay the season, cancelled the season, uh, how it kind of links back to Champions League, Lower League, all that good stuff, uh, all that kind of conversation that you would expect given that the FA said just this week that they expect to finish the season no matter what. Um, So we had that chat and it was very, very interesting uh, to hear a lot of other people's views. So I will segue straight onto that now. Um, It's a nice long conversation, so... For the people who are still commuting into work, we got your back. For the people who are working from home, uh, you know, it passes an hour by um, with a bit of football talk. And uh, we will see you when I see you again next. Um, I'm definitely not going to say next week because... This podcast is going to be as fluid as the rest of the football and world at the minute. Um, We will see what happens. But more importantly than anything else, stay safe. uh, Do what people tell you to do and keep yourself away from everyone else. Social distance and all that good shit. Um, And we will see you all uh, next time on Together, a Brighton and Hove Albion podcast. All right, Stu. Perfect. So today uh, we have Stu all the way from China on the show. Uh, it is currently 10 o'clock at night over there. So big props to him for making room for us um, on the on the show today. And as as always, when it comes to some interviews, we have uh, Robin on the line as well. How's it going, guys? Yeah, all good. Thanks, Josh. All good. Looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, I'm not too bad here at all. It's, uh, yeah, it's 10 o'clock, but um, good to go. Excited to go, raring to go.
0: Good, 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 good. Um, So I guess I'll start with uh, something that Stu brought up that hasn't actually been talked about very often. Um, Everybody on the show uh, that listens pretty much knows my origin story. I think I've covered it two or three times. Um, But Robin has never really gave us an insight into uh, his kind of beginnings of the Albion. Um, so, Robin, if you want to give us uh, like a brief run through as to how you got sucked into the Albion Vortex. Um, yeah, was- <laughs> absolutely.
2: Um, fairly, fairly typical, really. Um, family um, based in Brighton going back um, what, 100, 100 years or so ago. Um, my grandfather, who, who passed away only a couple of years ago, Aged 100, first went to the Goldstone in the mid 1920s, would you believe? Um, So that's the kind of (laughs) immediate history of like someone that I obviously grew up with who talked about going to the football from that that point of view, Um, which just seemed mad to be honest. And he said it was the time, the sort of time where if you were a kid, um, regardless of who you were with, you were basically passed all the way down to the front of the stand. And just you'd watch it from there, even if your parents were like or whoever you were with were, you know, everywhere else. And he always used to say the hallmark of of society being different was that it was you'd have people going around selling, I guess, like peanuts or, you know, some kind of other snack. And if there was someone who was at the back of the stand wanted it, they'd order it and they would pass the change all the way down through everyone. And then the food would come all the way back up and nothing would ever get nicked on either side. Like, can you imagine that today?
1: That is <laughs> no, <laughs> this is crazy. It would be, it would
2: be thrown everywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. Anyway, so yeah, he was um, he was a big he was a big Albion fan. Used to go when he was a kid. Um, couldn't couldn't go quite so much when he was older because his career sort of took him took him in various different directions and didn't really have a lot of time for it. But yeah, certainly followed the Albion literally up until his death. So he died. In fact. He, he died in October 2018, and the day of his funeral was the day that we won 3-0 away at West Ham. Ooh, so that was the first yeah. time we'd ever won away in the Premier League, was the day of his funeral, which was a pretty good send-off for the old yeah, boy. Um, but know, I was just delighted bit. that he was, he was still, he was very, even for 100 years old, his mind was like sharp as anything. So he really, so the fact he was around to enjoy promotion, you know, so obviously he'd seen the Division One stuff, you know, in the 80s, but to see us kind of get to the Premier League, um, he was around for all of that. So, yeah, he really got me into it when I was a kid and then started going from when I was kind of six or seven, really. So mid, early to mid 90s onwards. And uh, yeah, nice. for just ne- never stopped, really. Nice. What was your first game? Do you remember? Plymouth at home oh mine too in 1994 (laughs) I think would have been 94 definitely Plymouth at home don't really remember much about the game first (laughs) (laughs) yes I all remember it it was Plymouth and I was hooked first away game was Cambridge United around 1997 ish something like that
0: nice
2: anyway Yeah, so that's That's it. That's my fairly kind of typical, typical origin story, really. You know, family dragged into it. My dad, my dad isn't really into family
0: tree, though.
2: Yeah, my dad (laughs) is sort of. um, My dad follows the Albion, I'd say, but he's not not massively into football. Like he obviously keeps up with what's going on, but yeah, obviously my uncle is more into it. So he's um, like, if I can't go, occasionally my uncle will will come instead and that kind of stuff so he's he's much That's more true. into it but yeah kind of standard family family background really
1: nice
0: um Stu, what do we got
1: well firstly robin why are you were telling me that story of your your granddad back in the 1920s i just had a big smile on my face i could just imagine all those all the fans swaying in the north stand and drinking bobble and passing down change and stuff it's uh that's a really warm story. I absolutely loved every second of hearing that.
2: Oh, great. Yeah, it's definitely a simpler, simpler time, isn't it? I think.
1: Sounds sounds really nice. Well, my my story basically, I I grew up in Hove, and uh, at primary school, uh, you supported one of two teams when I was at primary school. That was either Liverpool. Or Tottenham Hotspur, and I, I went to, um, I went to primary school like in the mid eighties to the end uh, around to nineteen ninety, and then, um, in around '89, 1990, I got my first paper round. And I was delivering the Evening Argus. So I know it's called the Argus now, but I still call it the Evening Argus. I won't, I won't change on that. And um, <laughs> so I was delivering, I was delivering the Evening Argus. And you know, anyone who's ever delivered paper, uh, papers will know that while you while you're delivering your papers, you you, you read you read the papers, and you know, all the stories that you like to listen to and, and, and read and stuff. And I would always read the Albion. What was going on in the Albion? And at the time, we had a lone player called Sergei Gotsmanov, And it uh, was <laughs> like an overseas uh, player. And he just came on and just, uh, he was just amazing. And I became, I switched from being a Liverpool fan to being a Brighton fan uh, around the age of 11 or 12. I've never looked back. And that was, that was my story, basically, of how I became a Brighton fan.
2: Awesome. You, yeah, you Gotsmanoff is one we've, <laughs> yeah, we've kind of mentioned Gotsmanoff in passing on um on one of the segments we did on sort of where are they now? But he's, that's definitely one yes. we've got to do, Josh, because I think we've got to do him and Hans Cray is the other one that a lot of, we, we, Stu, we talked about this, obviously, jo, you know, Josh and I's kind of dad's generation, that kind of era, yeah. often talked about the kind of Sergei Gotsmanov, you know, the hands crave the kind of the first exotic signings, if you will, you know, that, that came from abroad. So, yeah, it um, definitely resonates with us, that kind of thing.
1: Uh, this, is, this is a little one for you. Sergei Gotsmanov, he wasn't going to come to the Albion. And at the time, the, the, the chairman, he, he swung he swung a legend on. Him. He said, you can have any, any car that you want, we'll, we'll sort you out this car. And at the time, because he was, uh, you know, he's from Eastern Europe, he picked a, he picked a Skoda. <laughs> and, uh, That's brilliant. And, and so, so the chairman at the at the time said, no worries, well, he's will sort you out a Skoda. And that was it. And, he, and uh, he came and signed for the Albion to get his Skoda.
0: That's absolutely that is, brilliant. That is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Truly simpler times.
2: <laughs> that is absolutely staggering, isn't it? That's a great anecdote, though.
1: Awesome, oh, lovely, lovely. I just wish I just wish I could have seen him play, but uh, never mind. I got to see Vicente play, so it's all right. Yeah, that's
0: yeah, that's, that's probably all, that's what we all want, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think we've all seen him, haven't we? Then, Robin, yeah, him, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, who's that, just, Vicente? Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, well. well Sorry, guys before we go off on a tangent here but I I watched uh, it was a pre-season friendly and, and Brighton were playing Chelsea. This was about 6 years ago and Chelsea had just won the European uh, just won the European Cup. And they came you might remember this they came to the Amex uh, in pre-season and they played a full strength side. They had Torres, they had Lampard, John Terry, you know, um Ash, Cole, you name it, they played them and Brighton, we flashed them absolutely played them off the park and Vicente was a beast that day
2: Yeah, I do remember that game actually, I think it was 3-1, something like that, I think Yep, 3-1 Yeah, yep. Good game, but yeah, I remember also remember thinking, yeah, this, is, this wasn't your normal pre-season friendly it was quite competitive, wasn't it? From memory
1: Yeah, yeah. and they, they honestly, it was their first 11, so uh, very happy to see them go down
2: <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah. But I think yeah, we've also covered. It. I think for as long as we're going to support the Albion, I don't think unless things go terrifically well, I think in terms of reputation and stature, I doubt we'll see a player of Vicente's ilk sort of again. ilk yeah. play for us for the Albion. Certain, anyway, we've uh, we've we're dwelled ser- on him ser- before, but
1: <laughs> because we we might now that we're in the Premier League, we might have these players. But where we were to get someone like Vicente it's like yeah um,
2: absolutely i think even i mean even now the fact that if you know if we were to sign someone now who at some point in their career was rated as one of the best in the world in their position is just it's staggering isn't it really and like you say the fact that we were not even in the premier league at the time makes it even more staggering
1: yeah It really was. Just a wonderful signing. Yeah, even, you know,
2: I'll take, even though it didn't, well, to be honest, I think it probably went exactly the way that most people thought it would go, which is the fact that he obviously wasn't going to play very much because if he was fit enough to play every game, there'd be no chance that he'd have come to the Albion. So I think we kind of got out of it what we thought we'd get, which is the odd moment of absolute genius here and there and generally looking a lot better than anyone else on the pitch which was
1: I enjoyable it, i think it announced,
0: yeah, i agree
1: i think it announced <laughs> our intentions as well our intentions <laughs> to be a better team and to to be at a different level than where we had been for the last 10 years and it was after we got Vicente, then players of you know like bruno started to come along uh, and these other players you know um like, kind of like Mar- Marquis kind of signing to you know, matty upson he came along and I don't think any of that would have happened if Vicente had not joined us at the time that he did
2: yeah I think it is it certainly it certainly took took the name of the club, probably if not round the world, certainly round Europe a bit more. I certainly think mm. a lot of people in Spain particularly have probably been pricking up their ears. obviously, I know we had we had a fair old Spanish contingent when he arrived, didn't we, which probably helped him settle in but I think it's a good point, I think it's certainly. It certainly marked us down as not having to scratch around to sign Trevor Benjamin on loan anymore.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that I think that the Spanish contingent was a big thing, wasn't it? I think Gus putting together that Spanish connection—we've almost never looked back um, yeah. on that mm. kind of Spanish connection since. And you know, with Bruno staying, and he's still there now, even though he isn't playing. I think that you saw, a, I think you continue to see a lot of more of the European players more willing to come over and have a conversation with us at least. Um, Definitely. Yeah, so I guess we may as well get to, the, get to the, uh, the big question that's on everybody's lips, I suppose, and that's the old coronavirus that just isn't going away. Um, yeah. I so mean, I guess, I think Robin, we'll start with you. Uh, quick coverage of the UK, how's it going over there?
2: On the verge of kicking off. <laughs> is what it is, basically. I mean, obviously now we've got pubs and restaurants and cafes and, you know, any kind of social business is largely closed, really. Um I've still seen quite a lot of footage of, you know, people still out and about, particularly in Brighton around, you know, on the seafront. They still haven't quite got to the point where people are properly taking it as seriously as they might. But certainly there's been a lot less people around and about um hopefully the fact that we've sort of shut everything down and if you look at the curve that italy are are following we are pretty much exactly on that line about two weeks behind them and as far as i can tell i think we are imposing the measures that we are now slightly before italy did on their curve um but yeah, we're certainly that's the worrying thing is we are following their pattern fairly uh, fairly consistently. But yeah, from from a personal point of view, I've you know, family and I've we've we've kind of been locked down for the best part of the last ten days or so really. Um
0: Yeah, it's madness, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and mentioning Bruno there, I mean I was watching Sky News this morning and they actually did a did a little bit of a feat did an interview with Glenn Murray, um, just talking about what you know, what Brighton are doing in terms of keeping the players fit and obviously you know still giving them things to do at home and he said that you know Bruno has been actually out and about as you'd expect from a man of Bruno's Bruno's caliber he's been out and about in his community where he lives in Brighton making sure that all the elderly people have got all the stuff they need and that kind of stuff so he's being he's being as you would expect him to be in the situation an absolute yeah. legend so he really um, he's been getting really? a lot of praise for that and he's kind of you know obviously it's a disease which is particularly affecting you know older people and people with you know with underlying health conditions but you know Bruno is people like that are taking a risk because you know you can be younger and you can't get it in a bad way but he is as you'd expect he is sacrificing you know arguably you know a chance at not getting it to make sure that people in his immediate neighborhood are
0: are all, are all sorted out. Yeah and it's, it's amazing isn't it because I feel like there's not enough of there's not enough people with a lot of money like him that does the stuff he does. And he's, he's, yeah. you know, it's not just a one time thing. He was the first, was he the first or the second person to sign up to, uh, to matters. Uh, I think, yeah, one of them, because he's big, campaign. he's big
2: mates with, with matter, isn't he? I think so. Yeah. Certainly. Exactly. But I mean, so, I mean in, in this case, it's not even where his mouth is. <laughs> yeah. And in this case, he's not even, it's not even just his money. He's literally putting his, his time exactly. and actually yeah. go and kind of putting himself on the front line mm. to an extent. Um, yeah. to make sure that people are alright but i mean there there is a lot of that to be fair in the uk if you look across social media there's an awful lot of communities banding together to make sure that you know the people that should be self isolating and shouldn't be going out are getting the stuff that they need um in our area there's not exactly where i live but a couple of couple of streets away they've got a little system where um people are putting red and green cardboard in their living room window so if people are putting a red thing up there it means they're probably an elderly person who needs something which is quite a good system good
0: idea yeah so i think there's a lot
2: and i've seen that happening there's a few examples of that happening similarly in different parts of the country where you know it's an easy way to indicate that you you need a bit of assistance whether it's you know someone Mm. going to the pharmacy to pick up you know your your prescription or whatever it might be so
0: yeah no that's really great yeah i mean i think yeah because we um we so charlotte or like the us really in general just ain't got the tests right like we're not testing people and now yes, we are in the testing UK. people like now we are testing people i think we went from something like 32 to 77 from 77 to 140 or something overnight every night and i think that i think it was a couple of days before the uk did i think it was tuesday that they closed down the restaurants and the bars and all that sort of stuff like the UK did on Friday. And it's just tough to know how much in line we are with UK and Italy and stuff like that, because we have even less information than you lot do. So it's, it's kind of... I mean, it's
2: very, I find the whole thing, it's very... I know that people like to sort of look at different countries and, you know, you you compare the charts and you compare the, the kind of the, the curve. But it is... It, I mean, it's very difficult. It varies from country to country, doesn't it? I mean, Italy have got... As far as I can see, and obviously, you know, I'm, I'm coming at this from a fairly kind of layman's perspective. But when I look at it, they've got some fairly interesting factors that seem to be going against them, particularly, which is notably, they've got, you know, one of the uh, the world's oldest populations. Yep. Which is certainly hindering them. They also have the, the cultural aspect, which is where they tend to have a lot of big families that spend a lot of time together in close proximity so therefore you've got the younger ones passing it on to the elderly members of their family so you've got these kind of quite specific cultural not to say that these same factors won't come into play in other countries but it seemed to me that italy particularly seemed to have a couple of factors that are that are probably driving things at a rate that might not be the case in other countries
0: Yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing, but there are
2: certainly and I think they've got a ton of people. They've got a ton of people that have smoked or are smokers as well, which is obviously feeding into it. Um, So, yeah, I think it's that's why I'm I'm always a little bit reticent to just look at the, you know, the immediate numbers and and just try and compare it. Because I often think it's not quite as simple as that, because you certainly look at South Korea, look at the number of cases that they've had versus the number of deaths. So you go. So obviously, it's difficult. You can't. There's no, no set pattern around the world. I think so.
1: Yeah. Be right. No, testing is
2: uh, testing's the key. The UK yeah. have just ordered millions of these tests that can tell whether you've actually had the virus. Ooh. Okay.
0: Nice. Which
2: is going to be, they're in the final stages of testing it from a clinical point of view. But I think that will be quite a big thing, so particularly if you're in the you know if you're a frontline healthcare worker, you know that you can then. And you're isolating or whatever, you think you're unwell, then go, No, you've had it. So you're not gonna you're not necessarily gonna be immune forever, but it certainly means you're gonna be immune for the next, you know, short term. Yeah. So I think that's yeah, probably sorry. how they'll how they'll get the country sort of slowly back up and running, which is the more that you can test people, the more you can say, Fine, you've had it. So actually you can you know, whatever Carry it on. is, you can go back to work yeah. or, you know. Well, I think the best idea
0: to know of how it's going to go forward is, Stu, um, yeah. you are in China. You are literally on the front
1: lines, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, I'm, so. a, I'm at the epicenter uh, of of everything that, goes, that has happened. and Well, basically about two months ago when it started here, two, three months ago, um, it, it started off in Wuhan. And Wuhan is about slap bang in the middle of China. Um a very big, a very big city. It's got around the same population as London. Um, an extremely big uh, city, um, and one of the biggest problems that actually happened was the the virus actually struck just before the Chinese New Year. The Chinese New Year it sees the biggest migration of people annually uh, every year because everyone goes home to their Uh, hometown uh, to see grandparents and parents and and the extended family and everything. So there was a big risk of it jumping from Wuhan literally all over China and all over the globe because uh, people often go on holiday and everything uh, during that time as well. And I think China did amazingly in actually trying to stop it in its tracks And uh, the way that they did that was actually very draconian. They they stopped public transport immediately, so people couldn't travel from city to city. Uh, Buses stopped, trains stopped, um, flights stopped. Basically, people could not uh, leave. And certainly Wuhan was locked down. People were, you know, um, there was just basically the police absolutely everywhere you just couldn't leave um and it caused huge panic in Wuhan but I think they did excellently in trying to stop uh the spread of the disease getting out but it but it has been it's I mean we're just coming out of lockdown now um it was uh it's been a nightmare like literally two months we've had this um, it's, now, it's very different. Um, I, I need to explain this to, to you and everyone listening. Basically, China has a different uh, way of um, doing things and how people live. So basically, everybody lives in blocks of flats, uh, very big blocks of flats. No one really lives in private houses. And the, block, uh, the, the, uh, the, the blocks of flats that are in a, a gated community and there's one way in and there's one way out. And each community might have two or 3,000 people living there. And to get out, you have to go through one gate. And what they did, they put uh, guards on the gates that were taking people's temperatures. So you couldn't get out into the street. Uh, You had to have your temperature taken. Uh, And if it was, like, above 38, then you literally... There was vans on standby to drag you off to the hospital to put you into quarantine. And... uh and so people really couldn't get out if they were sick and um i had some chinese friends here the other day they said to me you know why can't the uk uh, control this as well as china and, and my answer was literally bro, because in the uk you can go out of your front door and you're in the street straight away you can go down the shops you can you, know, you can go and see people no one's there to take your temperature no one's there to drag you away uh, but in China they had that, and and it was this social distancing, and everybody got into the spirit of it. Um, uh, you know, everyone's wearing masks, everyone's washing their hands, and there's this big feeling. But the other day I went out for uh, I went out for a jog, and I'd forgotten my mask, and I had two or three people stop me in the street and say, you know, where's your mask? You need to be wearing a mask. Uh, and there's just this, it's it's in the consciousness to to be. Uh, away from people to wash your hands to wear your masks and just to, to not get this virus basically um and i think the uk is slowly catching on but not in the way that china has done and that's why i think we're seeing it start to disappear here
2: gotcha. very interesting yeah very interesting yeah it is very difficult like you say i think in the uk people are People are certainly starting to realise that that's what's got to happen. Um, mm, mm. So, I mean, particularly public transport a... is is shutting down yeah.
1: pretty much. Yeah, I, I mean, what? what um, I'll just try to explain a bit more as well because it's it's just so so many things that have, that have gone on. Um, in order to everything was shut. So the only things that were, the only places that were open were supermarkets and chemists. And the supermarkets and the chemists were both on reduced hours. Everything else was shut. No buses were running, no taxis were running. So it was very difficult for you to actually go anywhere. And if you did get into the street, there was nowhere to go. There was no, no, all the shopping centers were shut. Um, there was no way for you to get around. And the guards at the main gate, they would only let one person from the family out every two days for one hour so let's say you're you, you're a family of five one person one elected person from that so i'm being a bit long-winded here but uh, no you're good take as only, much time as you need one only only one person could go out uh, from the entire family uh, once uh, every two days for an hour at a time and if you were longer than an hour then the guard to say hey where have you been and you're like, well, you know, it was a bit of a queue at the supermarket. And they were like, okay, you know, be faster next time. And there was this, this feeling of urgency, you know, um, one person in, one person out, and uh basically that's how this this whole thing has stopped from spreading, I think. Um, now what everyone has because because China does everything on mobile phones, not many people use cash anymore. It's very, very, I mean, I haven't used cash for literally about six months. Um, Everything you buy, everything on the mobile phone, everyone's always on their mobile phone and everybody has an app and it's the traffic light system. And this QR code comes up and it will be green. And that means you're low risk. You haven't been anywhere. You haven't been traveling. If it's orange, then you might have come into contact with someone uh, that has got the coronavirus. Now, I don't know how they know that. It's a bit scary that they they have this ability (laughs) to know. Um, it's very, obviously it's a, it's a socialist government here They're they're really on top of, of things and, you know, people, you know, they're in, you know, it's, the government is all knowing and, uh, and it's, so if you, if your QR code is orange then someone will come along and, and take your temperature and then if it's high, they'll drag you away. Um, and that's how it is. And that's kind of how it stops. Now, everything's kind of open. People can now come and go freely um restaurants are now open but you have to sit side by side if you go to a restaurant you're not allowed to sit face to face um yeah that's it it's, it's but i i think with our, we're out you know we're, we're we're in the clear a little bit more here
0: yeah it's i mean it's uh it's one of those things of how far do you have to go before it's too far but at the same time getting mm. it stamped out as fast as possible you know i think it's i think there's a lot of governments that are gonna uh you know have to make some tough decisions if this continues to go as the way it is um mm-hmm. and i mean not only governments but the fa as well um to segue onto the actual football topic which is definitely more uh, more fun to talk about so the fa uh announced that they intend to finish the season no matter how long it takes as of right now anyway um so how long do you think um we should wait until we start discussing voiding or ending the season at all because um, we have contracts up on June thirtieth, uh, we we also have you know a transfer windows that are supposed to open in July. Uh, we have a world a World Cup to think about in two years' time. That's weird enough as it is in, in the winter. Um, we have all sorts of shit basically going on. So, uh, Robin, um, what do you what do you feel about this? How do you think? To do Number one, the season will one
2: hundred percent be finished behind closed doors you think that's your that's your prediction yeah not a chance will it will it happen with people i mean they're talking about these social restrictions going on for potentially a year yeah so i mean i guess it's got to i mean so basically i think as soon as there's kind of i guess what they're hoping is that we is if what they're talking about which is that the. In the UK, certainly they want to try and get to the point, they want to try and reach the peak within the next 12 weeks. So what's that? That takes us to April, May, June. So we talk about, let's say, end of June, right? Let's say if we get to the end of June and we've got towards, not like minimal cases, but the curve starting to go down a little bit. I think what we'll probably see is that they will aim to start sort of beginning-ish of July and they will aim to try and fit all the games in in July. Ooh, so you'd think like all like nine games in July? Yeah, I think they'll all be playing probably twice a week in July. Goodness! All behind closed doors. And I think they may do something clever in terms of the TV and so they may schedule it so that they can
0: basically show virtually every game. So they, so they basically mm. have, like, five games a day, you reckon? Like, one at, one early kickoff at, like, 10 a.m.? Yeah, basically
2: what they 12. normally do on a
0: weekend. Yeah, they'll they'll do a lunchtime, they'll do a three o'clock, they'll do a tea
2: time, they'll do an evening. So probably four TV slots a day, I'd have thought. Well, they could always
0: just do a first thing in the morning one, too. You can have a 10 a.m. kickoff as well.
2: Yeah, exactly, yeah. with no fans, etc. So that's the way I think they will combat it not being behind, not being able to go and watch it, is that they will basically try and televise absolutely everything that is my prediction yeah.
1: well the I, I think of all of the problems that I, I've uh, kind of looked and I've made a few notes here of all of the problems I think not finishing the season will will do the season has to be finished um, it's, it's a lesser of two evils we just have to finish the season and, and fans not going to watch games isn't isn't really, doesn't really uh, come into things, especially for, I mean, it will come into things, it will come into it for lower league clubs that, re, that need the gates, they rely on the gates because they're not getting the TV money. But for the Premier League, fans not coming to games isn't as important.
2: Yeah, exactly. I think the legal connotations of not finishing the season, um, I'm, mm. Josh and I have talked about this in, in the last couple of weeks and Whichever way you look at it, really, there's going to be massive legal challenges. I mean, I've seen, there's various suggestions, basically, that if the season wasn't finished, the, the consensus seems to be is that basically Liverpool would be awarded the title, which I don't think mm-hmm. anyone can really argue against, because, you know, they're going there's, there's no chance that they're going to, you know, if the season plays out how it would, you know, they, they've basically won the league now, right? I mean, I think 99% yep. of people would say you can't really argue with that. The, the, con, the concession seemed to be that there would be then no relegation from the Premier League. And what you would do is that you would promote the top two currently in the Championship, being Leeds and West Brom. Mm-hmm. And what you would then do is next season, you'd have a 22-league Premier League with five teams going down to then rebalance it to 20 the following season. And that's the kind of model that they would then look at, I guess, through the leagues to say, fine, if you're sitting in the top, if you're sitting in the promotion places and up you go. Obviously, the problem with that is in divisions, let's take, for example, League One. That table is incredibly Mm. tight down to about seventh or eighth. Realistically, anyone down to about seventh or eighth can still finish in the top two.
0: Mm. yeah I mean so that you're yourself are, out Wickham wanderers have a game in hand and if they win it, they could feasibly go into the top two. so I mean yeah. like, <laughs> it is so that say, I mean
2: that's basically the basically drawing a kind of line in the sand now to say fine, whatever it's you know whatever the league tables are now, we then go with that that obviously the problem with that is obviously number one, you've got teams still scrapping it out to get into those top two or top three places for promotion. That's point number one. Point number two is obviously all the teams in the playoffs then just get, you know, it's pointless finishing in the playoffs because that's it. Yep. So I think, yeah, I think realistically you've got to finish the season. There's no real way that you're going to avoid lawsuits and all that. Um, and so, yeah, I think I agree with the FA, you've got to finish it. The big question is how soon can you do it? And as you say, the, the point around contracts is quite an interesting one. You know, I guess in the Premier League, not, not so many because you don't tend to have that many players, big players leaving on, you know, at the end of their contracts. And obviously, you know, mm-hmm. so I think it's, it's less of a risk in the Premier League in terms of kind of squad integrity, I suppose. But you're still taking the chance. I mean, Chelsea have got people like Willian, you know, his contract is up. I mean, what do you do as a player? Do you sign on? Do you say, fine, I'm going to sign on. I'm going to extend my contract for another three months or another month. I mean, no player, you're not going to play without a contract, are you? No, exactly. I mean, from a kind of injury point of view, you're not going to say, fine, actually, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll just play for another month. And then
1: you get that's injured. That's So, mm. I mean,
2: that's, I don't know what they do around contracts. And obviously, you know, minimum, you know, it obviously tends to normally work in, you know, increments of a year. But are you going to find players, fine. Say, if your contract was due to expire on the 30th of June or whatever it is, you know, you're going to sign mm-hmm. a two-month extension or a one-month extension or
0: whatever it is
2: and then I suspect, all, the, all, yeah. might,
0: I suspect we might see the argument legally uh, from the club saying that you haven't fulfilled your contract for the last two months so therefore those two months are being extended um, yeah i, I mean i guess you could argue trying. that i think they'll probably try if it, if it gets to that point i think that i don't i don't think it'll work but i, I think that would be a, an avenue some of the clubs would go down they would argue that they've you know we the the whole thing was suspended, so we're going to say your contract was as well,
2: yeah, I mean I think so long as so long as they can um so long as they're yeah i think if they if they were doing extensions in very small periods of time, you're therefore that you're then not locking a player in for another season, if you see what I mean right if basically yeah, no, if you're just exactly. taking care of the extension of the season, you know however long that takes, you're then going back into kind of normal rhythm, so I think they'd probably be flexible in terms of. You know contracts, just to make sure that people are covered until the end of whatever season it is. But it's interesting what the impact is. You know, then on the on the following season. I guess it totally depends on when they manage to get this one done. If we take yeah. the yeah, if we take the argument to say, fine, they might be able to do it in July. I mean, I've seen I've seen them say this is this is their aspiration seems to be to get it done in July, and they then basically want to start the next season in the middle of August, as
1: normal. Well, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen just the length of time that it's taken here. To Trans, you know, that. transfer um, transfer
2: windows and all that kind of stuff as well. What are you going to give mm-hmm. everyone two weeks to, to do all their transfer business?
1: Yeah, well, I, the, I think that I can't see uh, games, um, the season being finished by the end of July. I just can't see it. But I think that this season has to be finished no matter when that is, even if it's into August or September. The season must finish. Um, Now, for next season, um, what I was thinking is basically there's going to be less time to to finish uh, next season and to to finish it on time if this season gets finished, say, in in August or in September or whatever. um, I think there's going to have to be perhaps fewer cup games, uh, fewer international uh, pointless friendlies and just uh, games that come thick and fast and are closer together.
2: Yeah, I've been considered as well. I think they may have to sacrifice. They may have to sacrifice. Yeah, the cup competitions. The issue with the international window is you've now there's basically now no friendlies at all. It's all nations league stuff, which is all competitive mm. stuff for qualification. So I think, mm. but they're going to have to just sack off. Probably, certainly, the league cup will have to go, and there's probably an argument for saying the FA Cup would need to go. And the issue that you've got is obviously all the all the teams. I mean, what you're saying is that you'd have to have a lot more midweek games in order to yes. get the season done. But then you've got the mm. problem of clubs that are playing in Europe who can't, yeah. who, are, who um, are already playing Saturday, Tuesday, or Wednesday or Thursday.
1: But the, the thing is, like all of that, I mean, including Brighton, we've got the under 23 side with Simon Rusk. Why can't some of those players? Fill in. If a player's tired, if a player takes a knock, you know, he, you know, just needs a rest because the games are coming too fast. Why don't we take some loads under 23 players and uh, and all of the clubs in the Premier League can do the same thing, give a few of the kids a chance, you know, to to play first team games to get these games done.
2: Yeah, I agree with the sentiment. I just think money always comes into it, doesn't it? They're not going to run the risk of going down. Certainly at our level. Well, I, think that- I mean.
1: I think they'll have to. I think they'll have to if uh, if players are tired, and they uh, you'd rather play a, a fit and fresh player who's, who's on form for the under 23s rather than someone that's tired. Yeah,
2: I get you. I, I I agree with your point. I think the interesting thing is the fact that the, that the season after next is the one that's due to be interrupted halfway through because of the World Cup being in yeah. December or whenever it is. I wonder whether we'll just see some kind of slight shift of the of the schedule basically to allow what you might see is that basically as soon as this season is finished let's say it finishes in september let's say what they might do is they just might allocate more time for next season and that they then might decide that the season after next will actually then only start after the world cup or something like that they might just have to completely Mm. rejig the schedule for a couple of years to get us back into into some kind of rhythm because i don't yeah i mean it's just you can't fit all the games into and i take your point about you know playing players that are you know from the under 23s but i think it's often the time i mean got all the teams in in european competition you just cannot schedule Mm -hmm. the games you just run out of weeks to actually schedule them all in i certainly think getting in the cup competitions would that is the obvious one to free up you know, particularly the league cup tends to be midweek, doesn't it? So obviously that that frees up a few more midweek slots automatically. Yeah. So I think that I would think probably have to league. go.
0: I think you could also a probably look league. at wrapping up the Champions League, right? Like just not doing the Champions yeah. League in Europa because this is all of Europe that's gotta try and put yeah, their stuff in totally. as well. And that's gonna be that's gonna be a huge game changer. And if you've got like Champions League games, and half your team half your teams ain't even playing football yet and half your teams are I aren't. know the only but then you can see you can see the issue there. with
2: that which is what do you then say to the teams that 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 qualify in inverted commas this season like yeah. the Sheffield you, Uniteds is, that have a one off you know yeah, they finish in the what do top say 6 you
0: to know the TV as well the TV deals you know I imagine the amount yeah. of money that they'll have to pay back I know that they're all saying that yeah, the I mean, Premier League can you imagine saying about to $6 million
2: saying to Leicester City, oh, sorry, you finished second, but there's no Champions League next season, so bad luck.
1: I think what we need to do is remember football because if if we're literally just keeping the Champions League in place of something like the FA Cup, then we're just playing into the, the, the pockets of these huge European clubs and, and, and fun watching on TV, but we're forgetting we're forgetting lower league teams that rely on the FA Cup to, to to stay afloat, to to get these big draws, to get uh to get a Premier League club or a Championship club. You know, a lot of these lower, you know, people like Berry or Barnet. You know, they they rely on the FA Cup, uh, you know, the League Cup and stuff like that to to get the gate money. And I think. Those teams in this country should be looked after more than these big European
2: clubs. Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I think what you'll yeah. probably see is, I think you'd see the League Cup go certainly, which is, I think, what you do, and what they would probably do, they would do some kind of format change with the FA Cup, whereby they would probably, I would imagine, they would ditch replays at at every round, which is what they've been yeah. talking about. To be honest, they've been talking about getting rid of replays quite a long time even before this and the suggestion has always been that let's say you let's say in your example you are Barnet, and let's say you get through to the third round of the FA Cup and you draw Man United as the lower ranked team you get to decide whether you want that game to be at home or away
1: that's interesting
2: that's what's been suggested which is therefore you can then decide fine we're going to go out in the third round anyway you Basically, you're deciding what, how, what is your chance of being Man United. If you decide you want to have a crack at them and you reckon you've got a better chance of winning on your slightly dodgy pitch at home, then you can give mm. it a go. But if you think, fine, actually, p- balance of probabilities we're probably going to lose. So actually, we'll take the game at Old Trafford and we'll take 50% of the gate money. Thanks very much.
1: Mm, mm. I think that's
2: probably well, something like you... that is probably the way that... And that's the only way I can see that would guarantee in your scenario I, and I take your point you know these low league clubs when we were at that kind of level you know drawing spurs at White Hart Lane you know mm. that kind of thing would have been a, a big yeah. old injection of cash so I think well, something Barnet, like that is the only way to do it really
1: Barnet is a good uh, is a, a good example right now with this coronavirus thing because they uh, I heard yesterday that they had to they let uh, 60 people redundant uh, because they just can't pay them with, with no yeah. in. yeah yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wild, a isn't it? Thing I think for these small clubs.
0: I think there's a lot of stuff that the FA have to do as well. I think they've got to put their money in their pocket at some point to help these. Yeah, teams, I mean, I saw the the EFL have already put together a
2: five million pound fund. Yeah. So what they're doing is they're basically bringing forward all of the payments that would be made to clubs. They're giving them the money now. And it's worth quite a lot of money. I think obviously it's staggered. I think for Championship clubs, it's like half a million quid or something. And for League One, it's like three hundred thousand, and League Two, it's like one hundred and fifty odd thousand or something. So they're they're putting some money in now. But yeah, I do think the FA and the Premier League um, are going to have to put some money in just to keep keep things ticking over. I mean, the interesting thing is, you look at what's happening. I follow rugby quite a lot, and the the Premier the Premiership rugby clubs have basically enforced all of their players to take twenty five percent pay cuts. Wow! They've just I mean, told this is no it, option. Yeah. They've just said, well, basically there's no, the season's, you know, this is extraordinary circumstances. The season basically isn't, isn't happening. So we're not going to pay you a hundred percent of your money to just sit around and not do anything.
0: I mean, could you imagine if the premier league clubs did that and with the money they're saving, they'd filter them down to the lower leagues? It, that even, kind of even stuff's going to have to start happening, I think. Even more, so you just you just filter it around to the teams around you. You know, you have you know around Brighton, you'll filter it down. Yeah, to we would sort Crawley and put. Po- yeah, I <laughs> don't know if I'd want to help out Portsmouth, but nah, needs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, I think that's but yeah, Gillingham and to... yeah, pay. You know, give some pay back to Gillingham. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'd so say I think there's going to be some kind of balance. But I do think, I think unusually they will do, they probably will do the right thing this time. Because I know a lot of people gave them criticism for letting Barry go to the wall. But obviously that was that was mm. kind of, you could make the argument that, you know, financial financial mismanagement is a very different kettle of fish to basically what we're in now. Yeah, I agree. So, I, agree. I mean, you can make I mean, a, you can make the argument to say we're not going to bail you out if you've just, if your owners or your management have basically, you know, taken the the club to the wall. (laughs) I mean, I was, as a football fan, I would still say that's not the fault of the fans and that's not the fault of the club overall, so you should bail them out. But I can see the argument, you know, it's it's a fairly reasonable argument to say, we're not going to bail you out just because you've messed up your finances. But when when it's like this, when it's no fault, essentially when the league is shutting down, Mm. that's very different to a club you know, that's been the victim of mismanagement or has done something daft. So I think in this situation, they will have to help those clubs out because you could come back to a situation where 30 or 40 clubs have gone bust. Yeah,
0: yeah because I mean, well, I think mean, that's what
1: Brighton, we're looking we, at, we, isn't We it? know, we know uh, Brighton knows better than anybody uh, about financial mismanagement. And, you know, the fans, you know, we, we were there at the Goldstone when all of this was going on with David Bellotti and everyone uh, and Bill Archer not, not, not paying tax bills and stuff. We, we've been on the receiving end of this and, yeah. and the fans have been there completely helpless.
2: Exactly. Um, yeah, and I um, think, yeah, it needs to be. I think they will. I think they will do the right thing. I think they'll dish out the money and I think they'll make sure everyone's all right. And it's an interesting one. Yeah, I, I mean, the other thing be- I've seen is as a season ticket holder, as a fan, do you this isn't you specifically but you in general, if you're a season ticket holder of the Albion and there's not going to be any football for the next six months, let's say, are you happy to keep paying for your season ticket, even though there's no football? And that's yes, the I question. Mean, was, all, was... That's the question through all the clubs. You know, if you're a fan, are you prepared? You're, you're going to pay that money out anyway. You know, let's say for next season so your season ticket was obviously for the Albion is kind of start. They start taking next season's payment in April which I imagine a lot of clubs will leave for next season. So if you're a fan, on the one hand, you've, you've got to, you're not getting the football that you've paid for. But on the other hand, if you pull your money out or you're saying, I don't want to renew my season tickets because I don't know when the football's going to start. On the other mm. hand, you are therefore actually massively damaging the finances of your club. Obviously not Premier League level because we've talked about it. You know, the, the income that they get from season tickets and match day revenue, it's not insignificant, but it's not, you could take that away, and the club wouldn't go to the wall.
0: Yeah, it, on Premier Basically. League, it's on average around fifteen so, percent. Yeah, mean, so whilst right, it's like, a fair old it's chunk, the smaller clubs. But mm. the other thing is, is that a lot of those season ticket holders may be facing a time where they've, they've well got exactly less money they're than ever yeah. Well. They so so that's the problem as well. Yeah, exactly. So that's why it's such a big
2: cycle. There's a lot of tough, a lot of tough decisions to be made all round. Really. Which is why we're going think... to be
0: relying on uh, people like Amir to start spending thousands in the club shop instead <laughs> of just hundreds. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> the difficulty is that you've got a lot of
2: these clubs, you know, particularly lower leagues, are they are already propped up by rich owners. Yeah. So therefore, you're basically your. It, it just makes that business model, which is already stretched to breaking point, it mm. just breaks it even more. So you're now basically relying on those on those owners and those benefactors to to take even more of the slack and obviously you know we could, we could do a whole podcast on on the on the business model of lower league football and why it's wrong. Um, but
0: yeah, yeah I think that's I'll the situation that to, i think i'll leave that to people like the price of football i think i've got too yeah. i've not got enough time on my hands to dig in um, but i think about I, rich
2: I think the overall yeah i think the overall point is to finish off is that i think given the volume given the fact that this is a problem which is going to affect every club rather than just those who have suffered mismanagement or whatever it might be. I think that's the reason why they will have to do something substantial in terms of dishing out money. And I think they'll have to make it equitable so that they come up with whatever fund is and everybody, you know, they work out what's the minimum that everyone needs. So I think they'll just have to give out a base amount, probably is what I'm saying, so that it's it's fair. But I think they'll have to do something because otherwise you'll see half, half of the EFL going out of business.
0: Yeah, I mm. agree with you. Um, speaking of rich owners, though, uh, I mean, I've spent some time right, talking about the impacts on the Premier League, like what it's had over here in the US. Like, I've been here for just over four years and the people I know now that know who Brighton are, like, even going so far as to support them, um, is like wild. And China, of all places, has had a huge uh, football explosion, hasn't it? With the money being pumped into it. Um, lots of players yeah, moving absolutely. over there for huge wages. Um, Stu, you've lived over there for years now. How long have you lived there for?
1: I've lived here since 2002. So, uh, getting on okay, for 18 so years, of living.
0: in China. Wow. Plenty of time then. Um, I know that oh, you've you've had a really good experience, or so to speak, of the growth of the Premier League and... recognition that albion are even getting over there now um so if you want to kind of riff off and kind of talk about what the hell's going on over in china and the huge amounts of money in the sport over there and not only that but people knowing about albion in general
1: yeah well i think well um china likes to uh have global recognition um because it, it didn't do for a very long time so uh the government will try to um they like to do well in the Olympics. They they like to to you know um, do these things that make global news. They kind of uh, put their foot in it with this latest one, but they they like to um, they they like to get that recognition. And one of the biggest things they really want to make it into the the football you know in, into the World Cup. And so this is one of the reasons why they're putting so much money into the Chinese Premier League here. Uh, they want these big names to come over, and they they want people to start watching Chinese uh, football. And uh, but it's, uh, it's 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 tough, you know, because the Premier League has got such a a, a a brand, such a you know such an image over here that people just aren't really interested in Chinese football here. And they will, no matter who comes here, you could get a Messi or Ronaldo over here, and people will still watch the Premier League. It's that big. And that's why it was so important for, for us to get into the Premier League to get that recognition. Um, for, for about seven years, I was, te- I was a teacher here at university. And um, my students would say, you know, do you like football? And I, I said, yeah, you know, I love football. And they'd say, oh, who do you support? So I'd say Brighton. And they never heard of Brighton before. And so I would, uh, I would say the word for Brighton in Chinese, which is boulay Duan. I support boulay doing, And they would go, ah, Bolton. I said, no, not Bolton. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> definitely
2: not.
1: <laughs> yeah. and um, But now, if I say, if people say, who do you support? I say, I support Brighton. Everybody knows the Seagulls here now. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, you speak to any football fan, they know who Brighton and Hove Albion are. And it makes me immensely proud after... Where we've been, you know, because I've been over here for so long, you know, uh, League Two, League One, uh, Championship. And uh, now to finally say I support a Premier League side that Chinese people know, uh, yeah, makes me immensely proud.
2: That's crazy, isn't it? Really? It's absolutely crazy. uh,
1: but funnily enough, I I I looked online earlier. I looked because over here Google is blocked, so you know you type in anything on Google, you get nowhere. So I used um, Baidu.com, which is like the Chinese Google, and I put in, in Brighton Hove Albion supporters, and the first result that came up was Brighton Hove Albion, and it said key player, most notable player was Kerry Mayo. That's brilliant, and it wasn't even Kerry Mayo. It said Kelly Mayo. So, oh, uh, <laughs> <the> main
2: one. <laughs> oh dear, oh that is very strange, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, you're but, right. Uh... It is. It is mad. It's just absolutely mad that, yeah, one that you know, a, a kind of sporting thing can actually put a, a place or a community on the world map isn't it it's a very bizarre yes, just very so bizarre Im- kind of thing so
1: important here yeah but it's um i do you know what i really um this is this is a problem with uh, just just quickly quick digression this is the problem with chinese football here because they don't my my son he's, he goes to primary school he's just finished primary school and for six years he was not allowed to take a football to school uh they don't allow football In the schools and how can you have a national team uh, that all start playing football from like the age of 16 and above? It's too late by then, obviously. Um, And they don't allow uh, kids to play football at primary school. Uh, So in that sense, they really have to. That's that's a big problem here.
0: Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, that is insane. That doesn't. Yeah, that's totally counterproductive. I mean, it's the it's the youth that they need to be developing. Yeah, I mean, adjust your headset again, by the way.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they're never. They, you know, there's no chance that, that that China will ever get in the World Cup if they continue with the policy of, of starting football players at 14 and over. I mean, you know, you remember when we were playing football, we had like a school team and a class team and a year team. And you'd, you'd get on the school bus and you'd play other, other schools and there'd be a trophy. And there was a big pyramid of football. And at the end, you had top, top players. And you, you miss all of that here uh, with, with how it's set up.
0: It's just madness. What are the, what are they doing instead? Do they have any kind of sport or is it something else altogether?
1: Well, yeah, it's just ping pong, um, ping pong and, and badminton and stuff. A little bit of athletics that, I mean, because the, because the population is so big, it's 1.4 billion. Um, there will always be uh, fast runners out of all of that lot. There'll always be good long jumpers out of all of that lot, but, the general le- level of sporting prowess for the average person in the street probably isn't up to, like, that you might see in England or whatever. Um, so that's why they have so many medals in the Olympics and stuff. It's just because there's such a big population. But to think that they can't get 11 good players together out of 1.4 billion, there's is, is a problem at grassroots yeah, level. It's, that is crazy,
2: isn't it? Really, yeah, is. when you think yeah, about it time. in those numbers... I
1: mean, uh, I, the only
2: arguments we ever have over here is there's always the debate about kids not heading the ball, you know, whilst they're, mm. that's an argument that there's currently sort of going around over here. But yeah, not to sort of ban the game completely is not ban it, you know what I mean? But, you know, to just not have it around when you're that age. That's the age when most people get their kind of love for it because you just play it without any of the constraints of, you know what I mean? You just, you're playing it with your mates in the street or at school.
1: Yeah, that's when yeah, you get the yeah. kind of
2: bug for it. When the, you're not really playing it in a kind of fixed environment, you're just having a laugh with no real, you know, no exactly. real constraints.
1: No, we've all gone over the park and played headers and volleys and uh, yeah, whatnot. exactly. You know, it's, just, and all it's just of that that, yeah. that breeding ground of football.
2: Yeah, and it's not to say that's not when you get your kind of technical grounding necessarily, but that is really when you decide this is something that I like doing or whatever it might be.
0: Yeah, mm. agreed. Yeah, I didn't know That's that.
2: Wild. That's an interesting. That is a very interesting fact. I didn't know that at all. So, but yeah, it certainly does make sense. I mean, like I say, there had to be something. There has to be a reason why a country of 1.5 billion people can't produce a squad of 11 players to be yeah you know, at elite level for it. But I guess the interesting thing uh, is the, that, like you said, that they the, they're playing you know badminton or ping pong or whatever it might be, and those are the sports that they excel at on a global scale. So if they could oh, actually, yeah, they're,
1: they're so good. It's so good. So if they because could the actually thing just thing put if, a
2: small number of people into that, you know, yeah. into football,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah if they it it could be, if they not. Yeah. They, just kids, they just
2: let kids. They just let
1: kids bring <laughs> a ball to school. If they just let the kids bring a ball to school, and every single primary school in China played football at break times, at lunch times, within twenty years they would win the World Cup every four years, nobody could beat them. Just yeah, because, because what, there's so yeah, many the, people here.
2: Let's not. Let's 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 not have them do that that could become, <laughs> <laughs> become very boring for everyone i always think the same Stink with rugby like fun. if if like if in rugby if, if fiji got their house in order or the pacific island nations got their house in order that would be the same thing you know from a physical kind yeah. of point of view just as athletes that would just everyone else just needs to go and then play a different sport so it's a similar kind of thing you just on the one hand you think it's sad that they're not doing it but on the other hand give gives the rest of us a chance to Punch
0: above yeah. our weight slightly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess the same arguments for you, Josh. Is the US is the same when it comes to football? Yeah, and I
0: indeed, mean, they've they've got so focused well. on. Yeah, they've got so focused on all the other stuff that you know you can see that if they if they have, I mean, just the amount of people that they have try out soccer over here now, and they're still they're still able to come up with a Landon Donovan, a Tim Howard, a Christian Pulisic. You know, they can still yeah. do it. But if they if they took all of those NFL players, those NBA players, those baseball players, um, like I some of those, it il- I mean, it some of those elite athletes in like the NBA and the NFL are like physical freaks, and yeah. you put you put them, you know, it only takes five percent of them to be good at football, and they're a they're, they're an unbelievable side. I um, mean, always just, think that going, They just don't go care. back
2: to rugby; it's the same. I mean, if I could imagine, if all the people that don't quite make it in the NFL. If they were then filtered down into, the, into a rugby league, that would just be, you know, in terms of athletes and speed, they've got all the skills for the game. So if everyone yeah. that didn't quite make it in the NFL was filtered into that,
0: that they would just be, they would be stunning at it. Yeah, they would. They would. Um, anyway. So to wrap, then, uh, anybody have any final uh, final statements on anything that they've had today? Any final thoughts, feelings, concerns? Stu, we'll start with you.
1: Well, I heard today, um, that uh, Marwan Fellaini, who's uh, at, at Genan, um, the, the team in Genan, has uh, been uh, diagnosed with the with the virus today. So a little bit of um someone yeah, that all saw know that that that's over here.
2: Popped up on the news over I mean, He didn't get it in China, by the looks of it.
1: Yeah, Dubai, so I've heard... Because I
2: think, yeah, the irony is that he... Yeah, because I think they were coming back. Obviously, you all know a bit more, but it it looks like some of the players were coming back to China to begin kind of training, you know, in a small Mm. way again. And it looks like he's obviously come back from Europe or wherever he was and has has brought it with him back into China rather than contracting it
1: there. Do you know, I was was a bit gutted when he joined GNAM because I thought thought oh, just for just for a few hours maybe that we were in with a little chance of signing Fellaini and i think uh Fellaini in 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 the brighton team would have been excellent but, I don't know about uh, I'm, a, that. I'm a bit of a, I'm, <laughs> I'm a bit of a Fellaini f- <laughs> I think he's sorry i've just right. had i've just had to, but, just uh, had to pick uh, myself well, anyway, back up off the anyway. floor <laughs> <laughs> maybe i've just been watching his highlight reel uh not no but plays. i think
2: no no it's he is, he is i think he was one of those players that if you it depends what's what what sort of style you want to play but there is certainly there is certainly a role for a for a Marin Fellaini in a in a premier league team whether it's the yeah it, i think he would have been more of a chris hutton player than a Graham
1: potter player to be honest but maybe yeah i don't know just sit 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 in midfield and, just, and win the yeah. ball and pass it off but yeah,
2: anyway, it's hopefully makes a hopefully makes a quick recovery anyway. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Robin, what you got? Um I from a purely selfish Albion point of view, the best thing they could do would be to void the season. It's my controversial thought. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I yeah, appreciate well, the integrity of the sport and all of that, if we were to if either Either they just, either they avoid the season or they make it a 22 league Premier League next season. Both of that suits me down to the ground.
0: To be yeah, selfish. and I think <laughs> I think that you've got to be honest. I think that if there is a team that's going to suffer from behind closed doors, it's us with the rest of our schedule. You know, like yeah. I think that yeah, we need. be Al- home to, home to account Arsenal. Account yeah, I'll Al- Al- no be at, at home to Arsenal. Yeah, not. not it's gonna not going to be no. So, yeah, that's that's my my
1: controversial thought. I don't know if I'm looking at things through rose-tinted spectacles, but um, and and I know, Josh, that you have disagreed in the last few months, but at no stage this season have I ever been worried that we're going to go down. Even now, I still think if we were to finish uh, all of our games, I know we've got a tough run in, but so has everybody else, and I think that we are good enough and our football is good enough and our players are good enough to stay in this league. And I don't think that we should be worried about relegation. With our current team, the current way that we play, I don't think we should be worried about relegation.
2: I think yeah, we're I think definitely we... good enough to stay up, but I still think we need to be worried. Because in theory, we're what, three points, two points?
1: Two, uh, two yeah, three if you include goal difference.
2: Yeah. But,
1: um, I think, I just think... I just think the players that we have, the style of football, you saw what we did against Wolves. I just think we are good enough uh, to avoid relegation.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think I, I think I that if we can, you know, I think that we saw him learn a lot from Sheffield United and the Palace game and mm. the Wolves. I think you'll see, I think we were already seeing like the the kind of changes he was putting in even then um but yeah. and then you know just as we I felt like even though it's weird to say I felt we were getting a little bit of momentum even just after a draw against Wolves I thought that we were going in the yeah. right direction it all goes to shit
1: yeah we we should have beaten palace we 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 we've hammered palace
0: uh, and should totally.
1: have been sent off how how we didn't get sent off is beyond me um i mean but anyway, we've discussed we discussed this lost g- the game again, but-
2: josh and i have discussed this i mean that that is that was just such a sickener because we really, if we really could have been 3-0 up in that game comfortably. Mm. I mean, Solly March arguably should, well, he's got to hit the target. I'm not saying he has to yeah. score, but he's got to hit the target. You know, Mope puts it literally either side of the goalkeeper and that's it. Mm. And how many yeah. times, I mean, Lewis Dunk to have a free header to hit your own player on the line. I mean, those those three chances in themselves are things that rarely ever happen all together in the same game.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we
2: didn't play badly in that game, but it was a standard. It's exactly, the problem is, it's it's the parallels with that game and the playoff game with them at the Amex are just, mm. like, that was the same thing. It's that stereotypical game. We, even on, on the WhatsApp group that I'm in with Josh, at halftime in that game, we basically said, if it's still nil nil after an hour, we're losing. Because it was so like you could just, you could write it. Same as, same as, that, one, same as that Gus game, the playoff game. Ashley Barnes had that shot that mm. floated and, you know, was, was going to go in. And, you know, it was, obviously it was cleared, hit the crossbar or cleared off the line, whatever it was. Similar. You just go, the way that those games go, generally, obviously in football, you've got to score when you're on top. Is, is obviously is generally mm. the rule, but it, particularly in those kind of nervy derby games where, and we were so dominant as well, we just thought, just the way that the world is, I don't know if this is us being conditioned as Albion fans, but the way the world tends to work is that if you don't take those chances, it's going to happen.
1: And I don't but, know if you, I don't know if you noticed this, but just before Palace scored, Mopé had a chance of, so he should have set Murray up, well, he had to yeah. just tap it to Murray, and Murray would have finished it. And he went for goal himself, fluffed it up, and then it went up the other ends and they scored.
2: Yeah. But, yeah, I think, I, do, I think,
1: yeah, we are definitely
2: good enough to stay up. But I do think, I agree with Josh, I think the lack of a crowd, particularly for the Arsenal and Man United home games,
1: would be, mm. a, big,
2: would be a big issue. Would be a very big issue. That
1: is a good point. Yeah, behind closed doors, would we get the same the same performance but, from the album.
2: no I don't yeah. think they would mm. I mean if you look at like yeah, Europa maybe League their games quality Man United so... Man United went and won 5-0 away from home in, that, in a Europa League game where there was no sort of hostile home crowd very sanitised environment just like a training game
0: yeah, yeah. and I think that's, that's going to be how
2: it feels so I think that's, the, so that's why from my selfish point of view voiding the season is the way to go